Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Mission Daily. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, and I am joined by my co-host, Albert Chow. Albert, hello. Hello, hello. Let's dive. You want to bring up an interesting subject. Okay, yes. So earlier you and I were talking and you were telling me how you had an employee come to you at your other company and they're looking for a job. And one of their first questions that they asked you Oh, they were actually was, already hired. They were already oh, hired. they're already hired. Okay, yeah, they're yeah, already, they're already hired. hired. And they come to you and they ask, what are your thoughts on diversity? And what did you say? Yeah, my thoughts on diversity was, it's not my concern. I, I, I'm not sure if I used those words exactly, but I said, I am. it is not my concern. And I don't want to say I don't care, but um, it's pretty close to I don't actually care about it. All right. Well, (laughs) it's not my concern. Do I actually care? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Like, it's just not my concern. Okay. So we'll dive more into this story and why Albert maybe or maybe does not care about this. Because on today's episode, we're going to talk about how to build a sustainable business first, which ties into his story, and maybe even how to connect with the younger generation. So back to your story. So you're unclear if you care or if it's your concern. Let's get into why we're thinking about this with, you know, your other company with mission. I mean, how smaller companies should be thinking about this. Where were you coming from when you said that? Yeah. So I use the term idealism and I think it's not just young people. I think young people exhibit more idealism than older people. So to age myself, I'm 43. Do I have, do I picture the world in the perfect place? I mean, I'd like to say yes, but maybe because I'm jaded or whatever, I don't think it can get there easily. So whether you're talking about sexual equality, diversity, sustainability, equality, human rights, climate change, idealism, I put it all under idealism. And what happens in what I was getting at is there are a lot of younger workers who have these goals in mind, and I'm not saying they're bad things, but I just said it's not my concern. And here's why is... It is so hard to generate a profit, and I really do believe, because I've been taught by others, that if you can generate a profit, then you can then deploy your profits how you best see fit into these problem areas that you want to help fix. You know what I mean? So like, I, I can respect a lot for Patagonia, 1% for the planet. I've heard people criticize. 1% is not a lot. It's like, hey, man, why don't you get to the size of Patagonia and you can decide how much you want to donate to environmental issues, right? They get to choose that because they are in the black and they have a business that does um, produce goods that people want to pay for <laughs> and they have enough profits where they've said they're going to give back 1% of the planet. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Totally good. I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to younger workers, these ideas of sexual quality and I wrote them down because I and I don't want to you know maybe I left one off I don't know but like they the issue becomes the priority but the issue can never be the priority because the issue will never get solved if you don't have profits to go solve those problems you understand if you have no profits you can't solve shit (laughs) yeah and oftentimes I mean what what I see now is when people are asking these questions or when people are starting companies they kind of forget that you have to have a good company first. You have to have, like you said, a profitable company 
before you can start making an impact on the world in the ways that you want. And that's like a new shift now where I have seen quite a few founders wanting to start a company with that goal first, instead of how do I make a company that fits you know, a need in the market right now, that's gonna make money, that's gonna have good profit margins. So then I can deploy that capital into whatever I care about. If I wanna go and save all the puppies, I get to because I made a badass company that's making a lot of money now and it's got good profit. And I mean, same thing with um, diversity stuff. I mean, it is difficult when you're a smaller company to even think about that. Like my goal with mission has always been just hire the best people. I don't care if I have all women on my team, I don't care if I have all men on my team, like it's whoever's best and I can't compete with the Googles of the world. I can compete with a different kind of, you know, maybe market of people that I can hire versus them. And that also just means that it's a smaller pool and I can pay less money and I just get the best people that I can. Uh, I think actually I do remember a couple of people asking this or maybe just one person back in the day at Mission asking about how we pick people because I think at one point we did have more men than women. And I was just like, we just pick the best people. Like it doesn't. So the, it, it's funny you mentioned that because we've gone through a bit of, um, <clears throat> I guess we can diversity shift, gender shift. I don't know what you want to call it. But currently at Diesel Jack, we only have two uh, people that work there that are females and the rest are males. And so there's like 12 guys, two gals, and it does feel weird for them, right? And so they actually, and so they actually brought it up that, hey, it's weird. Like we're kind of by ourselves. And I was like, hey, number one, it's just how like things have shooken, shooken up, right? We've had different people in different roles. It was more uh, maybe closer to 40, 60, 40% female, 60% male. Uh, it's now shifted like two, two, two to 10, you know what I mean? Kind of deal. Um, but what's interesting is we put one of them is, and I'm going to shout her out because she's a superstar. Her name is Teresa Romanis. She is unbelievable at her job. Great editor, young. Ide- I think she's kind of idealistic. You know what I mean? She's a great person. And She's been there for over a year and now she is part of the process for hiring the next video editor because we need another video editor. And so I said, you know, when you hire, your job is to put the best person that you can put in a seat next to you that will work with you and you want to learn from them. And I was like, you also want to think selfishly because you're probably going to want to hire someone that you don't have to oversee their work. You don't have to cater to them. You don't have to, because I think every person who works, right, you know that if uh, your team is assigned and the work kind of falls on to you, if you feel like you're the stronger person. And I think enough of us have been through that. So it's like, okay, well, I don't want that hire someone in a seat that's not as good as me. So I was like, uh, and so I saw her candidates, she advanced. They're all guys. And so I, I was like, is, is gender like no longer an issue? Like, I want to put the best person in the best seat. I was like, that's right. That's all that matters. All the other things are a byproduct of the first thing, which is we have to, you know, we have to create a great business with great people delivering a great service or great product, whatever it is you're offering. And once you have those things to be true, you can make a lot of cool decisions. And so it was interesting, like when she got the responsibility, all of a sudden, the things that she thought were important, they weren't as important. Yeah, I, I think that's why for the younger generation, coming, you know, into the workforce now, like step one is being compassionate because they have so much media and news and ideas coming at them all the time of like, what's right, what's wrong? How do you think about the world? So knowing that when they're coming in and not dismissing them because, you know, from our point, we're like, okay, we can't think about that. And now it's kind of making me annoyed that you're 
not even valuing like a company of my size can even hire. Like it's a blessing that you can even come here and then I can afford to pay you and you're asking me that. So instead approaching it with compassion, love, like knowing where they came from and then also putting them on the fast track of like, how do you accelerate them to thinking like a manager? How do you put them in positions with responsibility where they get to hire, they get to think about picking their next teammate. They get to see what it feels like to have great performers and not so great performers because the second you can kind of put them into those roles quicker, I think is, you know, they definitely, like you are already seeing, they shift their mindset around the importance of how do we all build this company together? And some of those ideas I think will go away until it's maybe you're at a different size company and you have different resources and you're able to see the PNL is doing very differently than, you know, a smaller company. Um, but yeah, like how can you accelerate them to management? Yeah. The, when the tech fallout happened towards the tail end of 2022, a lot of tech companies started making changes. And I think you saw across the board, there was a, a lot of people were saying how there was a big push for DEI, mm -hmm. but then a lot of people in DEI were terminated. And I think it's easy to sit on the sideline and be like, oh, that's wrong. But at the end of the day, a company has to make a profit. And typically who gets to sit in the seat when the economics are tough are people who are really good at making the thing, people who are really good at selling the thing. And if you're not good at making it or selling it, it's hard to say you belong on the boat. Do you know what I mean? And so I think there's a lot of administrative and cultural things that people want to implement inside the company. You know what I mean? Like the chief people officer. I mean, I, I get it. It's like, is that, I, I, I mean, unless you're really good at putting super talented people in the seats mm -hmm. and I'm hiring, I don't need you. And, and you're seeing a lot of people that are, it's, and it's, it sucks. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's, I'm not feeling remorseful. The amount of people that are in like talent, HR recruiting right now that are out of work. I mean, this is just the cycle of the game, right? The economic cycle there, you don't have a seat at the table. And so I think it's really tough for people to sit there and with their, if you put idealism first, it can always feel like, especially when you look at someone else, like, oh, Stephanie's holding me back. This company is not, mm -hmm. does not care about the environment. This company does not care about sustainability. This company, I was like, this company has a lot of things to think about. And it just so happens that this is not the ultimate priority. I mean, every company at the end of the day focuses on great, great people making great products and services that can sell it at a profit. And if you're not in those two buckets, it's just tough. Yeah. Yeah. So then when thinking about building out a sustainable business, let's just say you, you have already, you're past the $500,000 in revenue point. Like you're past that, but that's when the distractions start coming in. That's when the ideas from the outside start coming in of like, you should be doing more. Like now, you know, your friends are starting to see you're making some money. You've got some clients. Like you should be doing more now. How do you think about staying focused? Like you're really good at this remission of like staying focused on, are we profitable? Do we have good enough margins? Am I keeping my spending in rain? Like you want me to, like you're really good at thinking about that. So how do you think about like scaling, you know, past the million dollar point and keeping it sustainable without getting distracted? Like what things are you looking at on a day to day basis? Uh, how do you think about that? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is it's probably it's probably a cultural thing, a personality and belief system that I have. And so that leads me to make the decisions I make. So I love this idea of, you know, I think DHH said it best. He's like this fierce independence. And I'm wearing a shirt of a company that is also fiercely independent. This is I wore it yesterday, but I wore it again for this purpose. This is Johnny Cupcakes. Uh, it's like a graphic t-shirt company that's modeled after a bakery. Um, 
And he said no many, many times to uh, selling at big box retail. So he said, no, I want it sold through my shops. And his reasoning for saying no to selling it through big, big box retail was that he felt that if it ever escaped the like the pop culture, like he his whole thing is it's limited edition. So all of his shirts and prints are limited edition. And he was always like, but no one wants something that everyone else has. So once I go to big box retail, I might make a lot of money for a bit. But then what happens when I'm not cool or I'm not the in thing? I can control my coolness if I stay small. And Johnny Cupcake's been around for more than two decades um, being like this cool little independent retailer. And he's done really well for himself. And so that cultural ethos is born into me. And so when I think about, I think about the number one thing I think about is actually, um, is this a good dollar? Um, and my philosophy on that is, is this a good dollar is does this, does saying yes to this line of business, is it going to be good for us? Meaning are my people going to enjoy working on the project? Are they going to enjoy fulfilling the project? Is the project already creating so much headache that we don't want to fulfill it? Because that's in my experience, when people start getting antsy and not enjoying their work is when they're doing things that they feel like the pain of doing it is now exceeding the amount of money to get paid. And then for some people, there is no amount of money to be paid when they really hate it. Right. Then that's when you hear like a, like midlife crisis burnout people that are like, I can't stand doing this anymore. And so I, I really think about that. So it's not really a metric. It's more like a feel like, does this dollar easy to serve? Um, and that's how I make a lot of decisions. And so the next thing I would say that number two is then that means total profits can't be the goal. So I want to be profitable, but I don't want to, you know, if my goal is to make a million dollars, then I might say yes to more of those bad dollars. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not so concerned about total profits. I'm more concerned about margin. And is it a good dollar? Do I have people enjoy working on it? And so those two things kind of help me make decisions. I'm not saying I always make the right decision, but I would say I'm happy with my decisions. That's, I would say that. Me too. That's why you're still here. I'm happy too. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like the idea around feelings because I do feel like that's how I make most of my decisions. Yes, you give me all the numbers and I still will run things by you to keep me, you know, just making sure I'm actually looking at the numbers with you too. But most of my decisions come from a gut feeling of, is this going to be good for us long-term? And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm not. But I also think listening to that as an entrepreneur helps make quicker decisions instead of getting into like analysis paralysis where you're like, I could look at a thousand different ways to model this and I could look at 500 reasons of why I should or shouldn't hire someone and make a pro and con chart and whatever. And it's like, most times with a lot of things, you already know. You already know if that's going to help. You already know if that person has been helpful or not. You know if you should fire them. You knew six months ago you should fire them. You knew that you need to, to fill a certain spot and like you need to move quicker on filling that spot or that you should bet on something bigger because the current vision isn't big enough to where you want to go. And so I think most entrepreneurs are people who are like leading a team and pushing a company forward. Have that feeling I don't know if everyone knows what that feeling feels like or knows how to always trust it or trust it quick enough, but I do think that's how I make most of my decisions to figure out like, how do we keep this company running and running well and moving in a direction that keeps me excited? Because that's how I keep a company sustainable is making sure that I'm excited to keep getting up every morning and running it. And so how do I make sure I'm staying excited while staying within my boundaries of what you tell me, whatever they are. So that, that thing that you said, which is sometimes you don't need metrics I 100 kajillion percent believe in that. And it's like, it's like people, right? We as humans, we don't have a metric system for, do we enjoy someone's company? 
Do you know what I mean? Like you either do enjoy someone's company or you don't. Sometimes you can figure it out. Sometimes maybe you can't quantify exactly, but it's like, I don't like, I'm not comfortable around this person or I don't enjoy spending time with them. I always think of it as the road trip test. Like people always say, oh, that person's nice. I'm like, no, no, no. I want you to know if they pass the road trip test. The road trip test is you're in a car ride, 10 hour car ride and the radio and music doesn't work. You have no phones, no nothing. Could you be in a car with someone for 10 hours? Because it's inescapable. And if you're, and that would be like, because if you don't want to ride in a car with someone for 10 hours, which most people don't want to ride with another person for that long, but like if you really dread it, then you probably don't like that person. And it's really that feeling of servicing a customer is part of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you might not know exactly, you might not exactly have the metric, but maybe it's because, you know, and I'll use even a more simple business like a, like a bar, right? Like, Customers that are overly demanding, customers that send food back. Like, you just know, like, I don't want to deal with you every day. Like, I just don't. You know what I mean? My margin's the same. I make the same amount of money. Um, you know, you don't, but like, you just feel, you can feel it. And so I think that's why, I think that's why when you're trying to build something great, someone else's ideal, like catering to someone else's ideals becomes, it's not productive. I don't want to say like again. I don't want to say I don't care, but it's it's just not productive because if you start thinking about more things, it's already hard enough to make the right decision. Where you mentioned like we kind of make a it's a kind of a call like we have, you have to kind of make a gut call like you know you don't actually know the answer. Nobody knows the answer. So if you allow something else to influence your decision, you're just adding another variable that you probably can't measure, you probably can't quantify, and does it lead you down the better path? And I don't know that it does. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it can like throw off your spidey senses and you're like, well, I was kind of following what I was thinking was the right path, but now everyone's telling me to think about things very differently than how my brain already is working. And I think it can just throw you off and confuse you. And yeah, I mean, we've had all, quite a few founders and CEOs who've come on our different shows who have said the same thing of like, you need to listen to your gut, your instinct. But I think it's hard to tell people how to do that if you don't already know how to like listen to your body like pause, be quiet, maybe meditate, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's like going outside and going on a walk, but something that can get you to connect in with your body, your mind, your thoughts, like your feelings, and then figuring out problems. Because what I love is that most of the answers are already actually in me. That's something I came to a realization the past couple of months. I'm like, all the answers are already in me. I don't need to always look out. They're actually in here. I just need to like give myself the time and the space and the quiet to be able to figure things out and like just calm the F down and just like sit here and be like, what do I want to do for the next six months? Just that yeah. I think could be really helpful. Like, who do I want to be on my team? Hold on, let me think. What do I want that to feel like? I don't have to know the how. I just want to sit there and be like, what do I want this team culture to feel like? What do I want like every team member to be interacting like? What, what kind of projects do we want to be working on? Uh, what kind of money do I want to be making at this company? What kind of bonuses do I want to be paying out? Whatever that is, like asking those questions and just sitting in that and not having to know the how. Like, I don't need to know the how. I don't care. That'll be solved in my brain. That'll be solved overnight. That'll be solved when I'm dreaming. Like, I'll figure it out. But just knowing what that vision is and then allowing your body and your mind to guide you there in a more quiet place without the market and the news interacting with it. So I was curious for you, Stephanie, do you have examples of companies that maybe were mission first that succeeded? Or do you have more examples of companies that ran a good business first and then were able to fulfill a mission. Yeah, I think that um, most of my examples are from CEOs or founders showing me that and telling me how 
even if they have a vision to do certain things, whether it be around environmentalism, diversity, sustainability, like whatever it might be, most of these CEOs I've talked to all say you have to have a good business first. Like it has to be a good, profitable, sustainable business where you can make those decisions. Um, I, I talked with the CEO of Simple Modern on one of our other shows and, you know, they have all those, what are they? The mugs or um, tumblers, the tumblers in Target. And I mean, now yep. they're a huge company. This guy was super smart. If anyone wants to just Google in like Simple Modern CEO up next in commerce podcast. You yeah, can go find his I believe episode. they do number one by volume uh, tumbler sales. Yeah. I mean, just hearing this guy talk about how he built this company, he had to put all of his other ideas to the side, even though he's like, I did have a big vision around a lot of things of what I wanted to do, but I knew I had to make this company work. And to do that, it was going to put like take years to get a company into the place where I could have any kind of an impact. And what he was seeing was the same thing. A lot of founders coming and wanting to start a company just for the impact and forgetting that you need a good product, you need a good service, whatever it might be. Um, and then I've, I mean, I've seen just different examples of, I have talked to founders who were uh, impact led first. That was like what their focus was. And I've seen many of them going out of business recently over the past year. Um, I'm not going to name drop them, but I mean, one was a celebrity led company, two celebrities coming together and they just went bankrupt. And they had this whole idea of like impact and how they wanted to, you know, have manufacturing here in Texas. I mean, it was a really beautiful vision, but they didn't know how to make it work from a company perspective, even though it was a great vision and they had all these different key areas of impact they wanted to make, but they couldn't figure out how to actually build the items profitably to get to that vision. So most of mine are not positive stories, um, but I think you might have a couple. So I, I am going to change it up a little bit. And I didn't previously discuss it with Lacey, our producer, or you, because it, you, you're talking, got me inspired. And I'm like, man, I know I have the best example ever of a person who focused on building personal net worth, personal, personal income first. And when the opportunity came of a problem they wanted to solve, they attacked it and solved it so beautifully. So the story is around, uh, have you guys heard of this water park, Morgan's Wonder Morgan's Wonderland? You ever heard of this? No. Okay. So in the summer of 2005, Gordon and Maggie Hartman were on vacation with their daughter, Morgan, at the pool. And and Gordon noticed that, so their their daughter Morgan has disabilities, um, and he notices right away that the, a lot of their things are not built for her. Um, he notices the kids don't want to play with her, and this guy's a real estate developer. So he says, "Yo, I know what my mission is now." He builds a water park designed for kids with special needs, and he makes it forever free for any kid who has special needs that comes to Morgan's Wonderland. You don't have to pay, and your family doesn't have to pay, and he builds a business. He, because he's a real estate developer, he understands construction. He understands PLs. He understands. He learns about the entertainment industry because he's already a, a smart guy. And he says, "I'm going to build a self-sustaining water park, and I'm going to I'm going to even the playing field." And that if that's not one of the most badass like ideal like he, he didn't come out and say like, "Oh, it should be." Like he did it. Like he straight up mm -hmm. did it. You know what I mean? He didn't say someone else needs to build. Um, a water and I and I think for families that have kids that are in this you know that have these disabilities like they must be forever thankful that he took it upon himself to use the profits he made in real estate to say I'm going to do this as well and I think it's super cool that he did it because it's it just shows like 
people view like profit as the root of all evil. It's not. Money is the tool. So if you want to help a lot of people, the reality is the more money that you have, the more you can help. <laughs> like that's just the reality of it. And so this is like a, a little small example of like someone who maybe wasn't like mission. They weren't exactly mission first, but because they had the means and the capabilities, they found a mission and they solved that mission. And I think it's just a really badass story. So anyone wants to check it out, we'll link in the show notes. Morgan's Wonderland, it is a water park that is designed for kids and families with special needs. And it has been around for since that time period. And it's still running. It's still operating. It still operates in the black. Yep. So, I mean, that kind of ties back to, you know, like we said in the beginning, you have to either have a business, money, profit. You have to have something there first before you can have a big impact. And I mean, for him, this is something that has impacted, obviously, his life ever since he had his daughter. And so it's been in the back of his mind. And so you can still have a beautiful idea or something that you want to impact or something that you really care about. And there's no timetable. There's also no timetable, right? He Mm -hmm. sees this is a a problem. He's like, no, I'm going to solve this problem. Yep. Yeah. And so you can still have that in the back of your mind while building, but just don't change your company from the start because of that. So like, I wouldn't, I don't see someone like this changing their real estate company because of that being like, oh, well, I want to make sure the first 20% go to charities supporting this when I'm starting my real estate company or when I'm doing whatever, like construction projects. It's like the company is what it was meant to do for the, in this case. And then it was able to fund, you know, the project that he had a lot of love around and that he wanted to push forward. Yeah. But I still think it's kind of the same concept of what we got back to build the company, make the money. So then you can have a big impact instead of trying to do it all at once upfront in a way that kind of muddies up the vision. Yeah. And then I have examples of companies that built around their mission, um, but I wouldn't say that they scratched every ideal. And so like uh, Bayard Winthrop is another example uh, that I like to use. I personally purchase his products. Uh, The company is called American Giant, and he was in the clothing industry for a while when he observed that, hey, American manufacturing is going away. It is way less sustainable for the earth, for the people. There's like human rights violations. We've all heard of sweatshops internationally of people in the textile trade. The textile trade has always followed the cheapest labor. And wherever there's cheap labor, there's cheap goods. It's widely discarded. It's got to get shipped here. It's just clothing's a dirty business. And so he wanted to start an American manufacturing business. Along the way, he learns about all the fabrics that are needed. Who makes fabrics in America? Who sews clothes in America? And he makes clothes, American-made clothes. But he runs into some resistance. The resistance is his clothes are expensive. I think we can figure out that if you purchase everything made in America, it's going to cost more than international labor, which is relatively inexpensive. And they don't have rules and regulations around the environment. Like they just don't. Um, And the textile industry is one of the biggest polluters. So he solves it by saying, I'm going to build a company. It's going to be American made. Everything's American woven, American manufactured. The problem is, is it's not widely accessible. Right, the clothes are expensive. Hoodies are 140, 150 bucks. Like pants are 250. I think jeans is like 250 dollars. And then so people are like, ah, well, then you should you should make it less expensive so that more people can buy it. It's like, man, the economics don't work out if I do that. So he's built a sustainable business. American Giant does 50 to 100 million dollars a year in sales. In the grand scheme of textiles, that's nothing. It's nothing. But cons- not enough consumers have voted with their dollars that this is what they want. But he's built a business and he's found a way to build something he cares about, which is American-made, manufactured, quality goods. He just charges – he has to charge a bigger price. And then – so you know, I think if you listen to every ideal – because like people can say 
there's might be socioeconomic ideals he's not fulfilling. He's not making it widely accessible to everybody and all this other stuff. It's like it's just really hard to answer to all of them. I mean, he answered to his number one, which was American supply chain. He can't probably can't answer to all of them. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. Can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think about someone like a, uh, the founder of Tom's? Like where I think from the start, he like gave a shoe away for every shoe. Buy a shoe, um, give a he, shoe. But also the shoes were expensive. So I'm like, he baked that into the price points. So yeah. Tom's. Like he, so Tom's has fallen on hard times. So, yeah. um, I but think it's already been picked up it. by a private equity. I think his sister actually is more successful now because she owns uh, Aviation Nation. I think that's like yeah. over $300 million a year in sales. And that's like high-end goods. Mm-hmm. Um, she's is Tom's been owned by some... private equity now? Are I'm pretty sure private... Tom's got picked up by a private equity group. Um, okay. Its sales declined oh, quite yeah. a bit. Their creditors. Oh, no. Yeah. Back in 2019, their creditors took over. Yeah. Well, okay, well... so like that's back to point one. Like he, it wasn't built to last and yeah. also that idealism that like perfect scenario I, and I, which i agree it wasn't enough to keep selling more and more shoes yeah and yeah. fashion is just super hard like right you got always got to be cool you got to be in because people's tastes change i mean check out all bird stock it ain't doing great uh yeah. <laughs> you know what but i mean it was the hottest shoe toms. but now it's not yeah the guy who made toms though he made some good money because i see here he's giving a hundred million dollars half his net worth to psychedelics research. Yeah. So he made the money and he's funding things he cares about now, which go, whatever his name is. Blake, Blake. Mykoski. Go Blake. Yeah, Blake Mykoski. His sister, Morgan, I mean, I think it's Morgan. I don't know. His sister runs Aviation Nation. Paige, yeah. sorry, Paige Mykoski. Um, and that's a huge brand right now. But fashion's, uh, to me, to me, fashion's just really hard. Like to stay cool for a long time, super hard. So yeah. Pocket it while you can, and then you can, of course, pursue other interests. But I think, you know, I think it's cool to be mission oriented, but I think also the mission is not enough to sustain a business. So that's why you need to sustain a business first and then fulfill a mission. Yeah. I mean, I think you can't do it all for sure. Uh, And I think that comes back to knowing who you're selling to. Because then you can say, okay, if I'm selling to someone who cares about these certain things, then like, Price point's not an issue for them. Like Albert's thing, it's like, yeah, a lot of people will complain about price, but like based off where my company's going and the kind of person I know I'm going to sell to, price will not be an issue. Literally, people kill themselves while making cell phones and they <laughs> install suicide nets. So you jump out of your window because the pressure to make iPhones is so hard to kill yourself. They pull you out of the net, put you right back on the line. Hey, Lacey, I know, you don't, I know you'd rather die. I need you to glue these cell phones together. And there, and it's 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 horrible to think about, but like, and it's a it's what's one of those things where it's like, people always want to point fingers like this is the problem, and they don't ever want to look at themselves, and so this this came up when I was in grad school, I took a class on occupational health, and it just talked about the most dangerous jobs in the world, and the guy was saying like you know at the time blood diamonds were all the rage and subject and people were like you know blood diamonds the movie came out Leonardo DiCaprio like oh my god diamonds are farmed by poor children in Africa sub- you know in in Sierra Leone and it's super violent kids die all the time and my professor had all these stats about how many more kids die in the chocolate trade mm-hmm. and he's like people want to point the at blood diamonds because they like to say it's someone else doing this not me. I couldn't. Par- I couldn't possibly par- be part of the problem. 
but no one wants to acknowledge that there's more like child slave labor in the chocolate trade than any other trade because everyone loves chocolate. It's really hard for me. Oh man, I can't eat chocolate. Damn. Oh, I can't do it. (laughs) And so we're all guilty. We're all guilty. You know what I mean? Like we, we have this like idealism, like, Oh, of thou you should, I should, what, what should I do? I'm, I'm just pointing the finger. You know what I mean? I'm doing nothing. I just want to point the finger and say, you need to make things more affordable. You need to make things more sustainable. You need to make things more accessible. You need to care. You need to make your workforce more diverse and you need to handle a living wage. You, someone else needs to do all this so I can solve the world's problems. <laughs> Instead <laughs> of maybe saying, I will drive the market and be a part of that and just not buy from you anymore. Yeah. Like that's like one simple change. So it'd be like, you have to do all these things to make me feel good about my purchases from you versus, well, I just am not going to support that company anymore. And that's yeah, my choice. I remember there was all this like buzz and hubbub about like, for example, Chick-fil-A, they donate their money to specific churches. Mm-hmm. Those churches are known to not support uh, LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I'll never eat Chick-fil-A again. It's like, man, don't. There's a lot of Chick Fil A sales, man. Like, and then yeah. like, and I know people want to put that value system on everybody. But it's like, man, I shouldn't. I don't want to feel guilty about eating a chicken sandwich because I like chicken sandwiches. Just because I like a chicken sandwich doesn't mean I agree with all of these things too. Because if you have to align 100% of your purchase decisions with the value systems of the provider of said purchase, you will get nowhere. Like, it's not possible. There is no company out there that aligns on everything. And if and and I and I'm just a big believer, you know. Let's go over these things. Can you make a business where everything is affordable to your marketplace, where everything is sustainable and how it's manufactured, where it's accessible and everyone anywhere can get it without having to like pay for shipping or whatever? And you're going to do it with a diverse workforce, diverse across sexuality, diverse across gender, diverse across race. And you're going to pay everybody a living wage. And give me any other ands you need. Is that possible? I know it hasn't been done. How about that? It sounds. And as someone who started a couple of businesses that have generated between 500,000 and, you know, up to 10 million in revenues, what we did at XBON before we sold it. I don't know how you can do all of these things. Well, I don't think you should try. And I don't think you should try. There you go. You you pick the pieces that resonate with you and your customer. Yeah. So, I mean, we were talking about this with your $250 pants. It's like that person, the owner knew what he had to charge to do what he needed to do, which yeah. to him, it was important to manufacture here, you know, costs are higher. Yeah. And he knew he was going after a customer who could pay those prices. And so, yes, while there's probably a lot of people coming after him being like, I can buy jeans for $40. Yeah, you can. That's not this company. Yeah. Like, and I'm not going to change it because customers are mad. Like, I'm not going after you as a customer. I'm going after the people who can afford $250 jeans, knowing they're made in America, knowing they're higher quality. And then it'll help my vision with X, Y, and Z. So I think you have to pick the things that matter most to you. And then once again, not let the market sway you, not let the news and the you know idealistic thoughts of everyone else sway your vision and what you can do. And so if you have a vision for cheap things and, you know, mass market where everyone can have it, like, great. Then you just also might have to compromise on a couple other things. Like you won't be making it in America probably. And you'll have half the people might be hating you for that. I think living wage would be really tough. Anyone who's value-based, value-based sellers can rarely pay a living, like what they call a living wage for everybody. Right. So meaning you're going to not have high margins. You're going to offer the slimmest margin so you can offer the best good 
at the best price possible. That's like Walmart. You know what I mean? That's what Walmart does. And in order to do that, they have to say no to certain things. And unfortunately, a lot of people complain like the average Walmart worker makes, you know, one, whatever, a fraction of the CEO. Yeah, that's what it takes. Cheap things ain't cheap. They cost in other ways. And so I'm with you. You just cannot answer to all the idealisms of the world. What's the best way to sum it up? Yeah, I would say make a profit, solve problems, listen to your intuition. Don't be thrown off course by other people's ideas coming at you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be in that, in that order. Maybe like solve a problem first, then make a profit. Continue to listen to your intuition. Make quick decisions. Hire fast, fire fast, <laughs> experiment fast, uh, and then carry forth with whatever other visions you have. Bam. Like, we just solved all the problems of the world. We did. There you go. Okay. 